you're listening to The Bounding Box, where we talk about web development, geo development, and everything in between. Okay, so thank you. Welcome to This Week with The Bounding Box. And this week, I'm joined by a very special guest here, Jim Harris. Jim, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us about you. What you do, man? Hey, Renee. Thanks for having me on the Bounding Box. Big fan. I'm a geographer at Esri. Been there for about, uh, uh, it's coming up on 27 years, something like that. Anyway, 1990s, that's when I got started at Esri. And uh, um, uh, I'm a geographer. Uh, I work in the on the uh, Living Atlas team, ArcGIS Living Atlas team, as a uh, lead product engineer. And, uh, you know, Advise on cartography, advise on uh, data, just kind of get myself in there. Awesome, Jim. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So in your day-to-day work, you work a lot with the uh, on Living Atlas stuff and everything like that. Tell us a bit about Living Atlas and like, what is that? And uh, why should uh, people care about that, especially devs? Especially devs. Uh, I get to work with devs pretty frequently, not as often as I want. And something I've learned to appreciate about them is their time is valuable. And Living Atlas is a good match for that situation because it has about 10,000 items in it, about 10,000 layers, um, great maps, great layers, uh, sample applications and dashboards that are the kinds of content that uh, people in the mapping biz, you know, they tend to need. They tend to need something like, let's take something basic. Every dev needs a base map, right? You've got to have a base map. Well, somebody's got to create that base map and put it up and keep it up there, make sure it's high quality. Um, so Living Atlas has a whole category of base maps. I think we've got, I don't know, several hundred, probably three, 400, uh, something like that, when you include all the individual layers and things. And then other topics are in Living Atlas. You know, we've all seen that printed atlas, that giant book yeah. You get your hands on that thing and it's it's like mental it's just overstimulating, right? And it's like, how did that happen? Well, uh the inspiration of living atlas is well, what if some of the information in those printed atlases were made available for free, or if a bit you know, if somebody requires a business model, fine. Um, but what if all that content were available for free in a living atlas? So, for example, my team recently released the ACS, the American Community Survey from Census, uh, within about two weeks of its release, March 17th. Um, fresh from the census to your hands, okay, you can be using ACS within two weeks of the census releasing it. You, as a dev, don't have to go learn the census nomenclature. You don't have to learn where the census puts the data for download. You don't have to learn where the metadata is. We bake all that goodness into these layers and serve it up to the people. That's really cool. That's it. And I've worked with that data uh, by hand before back in the day. And uh, yeah, it's definitely not yeah. a easy data set to kind of wrangle together with what you want to do. And, and I think beyond just like the uh, putting the ACS data out, you um, team also develops a lot of really cool products off that data, right? Like these uh, cool web maps and cool layers that people can use. Yeah, exactly. I think um, what I enjoy most about my work is we get to treat the data as data for a proper amount of time. And then we start to ask questions of that data. Like, what fields are here? Well, here they are. Let's 
documentum. Let's good do a good job with the metadata, the field descriptions, field aliases, all that stuff. But then what data isn't here? What's missing? Could we add some fields? Could we pre-calculate things like, oh, I don't know, census is really good at giving you count after count after count after count. But if you want to know the percent uh, of population who earn less than $50,000 a year, Renee, you're going to have to write <laughs> that yourself. You're going to have to yeah. write some code. And so we thought about, you know, in all the years I've worked with devs, I try to pay attention to their pain points. And I try to bring that back with me at the stage where we're developing data. What additional fields do I, I always see devs adding? And like with census, I'm just picking on census. I love census. But, uh, you know, they always, uh, you know, give accounts, but what we want are percents sometimes. So, yeah, how can we get that stuff built, baked into the layer in some cases? Or we use Arcade, or we ask the dev to write some JavaScript, whatever yeah. it takes. Now, Arcade's been really cool, especially working with uh, large data sets and stuff like that, kind of like be able to pull out um, you know, certain things you want from the data and stuff like that, and get these really cool visualizations and things, even just the pop-ups, right? Like uh, really simple Arcade scripts just kind of like simplify the information you show in a pop-up. It's really cool. It's a good partnership too because Arcade plugs right into the space between a dev and like a data or geographer, a data expert or a geographer or a subject matter expert. Arcade is like this common language. Any of those three people, the data expert, the dev, or the geographer type, you know, any of those three can initiate a conversation about, hey, I was thinking it's interesting to see what the population density of a block group is. Is it also interesting to see? Is that pop block group's pop density significantly different than the pop density of the adjacent block groups? That's a, it's a purely spatial question. It's just an example. It's not really all that meaningful, but it is an example of, you know, sometimes you you're in these meetings and you hear, you know, the big wigs talking, and you're like, hey, wait, wait, I think we could do that. And in the old days, I would go straight to the dev's office and start sketching on the whiteboard and begging and pleading. And then you had to assess, well, I wonder if they've ever done this before. Maybe their resistance isn't just they don't want to deal with this. Maybe the resistance is, you know, I'm not super confident I can pull that off. And I found in dealing with devs, you know, everyone's got a different personality. Uh, it, it's a lot better to show up at their door with a working map and a working arcade ex expression and then say, can you make this better? Because, you know, I've I've reached the limit of my dev capabilities. I'm not a dev. Uh, that's awesome, man. So on a, a topic I think we've discussed before, uh, give me your uh, input on large web maps, web maps with far too many layers inside of them. <laughs> um, and I guess I guess we, this goes to, you call them like a kitchen sink web map, right? And, and I guess some of that might be driven by the old, adage in some organizations of having kitchen sink applications that there's a one source of truth that everyone gets to and that can kind of bog a map down and bog down the store and stuff like that what, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of issue that people run across yeah definitely it's a web 1.0 or even a 2.0 experience you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm the gis person at an organization i'm in charge of a lot of layers and maps and I collect all these things and uh, I've been tasked with putting something out. So, or maybe I've got an application 
and its intent is to just kind of explore the data. So the more, you know, the more data you have, the more you can explore. That's kind of the logic. So a lot of times we'll see these web maps that have, you know, 40 layers in them. And, uh, you know, um, it's a kitchen sink web map. It's got all these layers. It's great. And it's really almost like a card catalog in a library. Remember that going to the library and you look at the library, <laughs> you're like, oh, I want to go find like I would always go find books on airplanes. Dewey Decimal 629. I still remember it. I'd run out there and go to the card catalog and see what's up. And then uh, eventually I learned just go straight to the shelf. Right. And I feel like we sometimes in the GIS industry, we for valid reasons, we put all the layers into a web map to kind of show off. Look, this is everything we got. And then where we sometimes lack is, you know, how do I drive the conversation to say, hey, is all this necessary? Like, what, what do you want to learn? And that's how I get out of that situation or help people get out of that situation is these are amazing set of 40 layers. I love these layers. These are fantastic. Now, if I want to know something important, which layer do I turn on? And then I hand the mouse to the other person and I make them run the software and see how hard it is. It's not hard to turn a layer on and off. The hard part is finding the layer in the <laughs> stack. Yeah, exactly. And that's our job. Our job, our job is to reveal this stuff. Like, yes, I am so grateful to have 40 ingredients in my kitchen. Renee, if you come over for dinner, what would you like to eat? Because <laughs> I got 40 ingredients. Look yep. at all these ingredients I got. And that's that's the enthusiasm we try to carry over into. Yeah, what kind of questions are you currently answering with this 40 layer web map? Uh, and then, you know, I view it kind of like we're all on a journey, right? On a project, in our careers, in our relationships of with the people we're working with at work. So no judgment, right? You got 40 layers. Great. What's our next step? What do we want to do next? And then I know for you devs, I have heard devs say, oh my gosh, this web app has so many layers. Every time they their code has to do something, it has to traverse that dictionary. And like, which layer is it? And what's its name? Yeah, I think uh, like some users, I mean, maybe some devs don't understand sometimes that when you load a web map like that with all of these layers, even though they may not all be visible, let's say you, you've done a great authoring job of setting up your min-max scale so that layers are not visible at certain points, stuff like that. We still have to get some metadata for each of those layers. Just we need the title of the layer, right? We need to know if it's going to be displayed like in the layer list or a legend or something. We need to know what that information is, uh, what type of layer it is, and all this different information. Even if we're not going to show it, we just need basic metadata to get there. And that's a lot of requests that go out and, you know, may not even be an online hosted service. It could be an enterprise server somewhere that you don't control, but you're using the data. Now we need to make a you know, that external request somewhere type of deal. So yeah, I don't think people quite realize all that stuff that comes into play and whatnot. And I think, I think for solutions like that from a dev side, it's much better solution if you have to provide a kitchen sink type scenario to have a bare base map with just the essentials and then your code, then now you can have it like a pull down of some sort go, oh, uh, I'm going to add this layer because I need it for a very specific purpose. Then we'll go ahead and manually add that layer of the web map, right? We're not beholden to just the web map in the development environment at that point. I think that's probably a better solution if you're ever up against the wall having to develop an application like that. I think that's a much better way to do it. <laughs> and, and yeah, I like that. I 
as I said, I've had to help uh, people in those scenarios and stuff. And then those are really the only suggestions they give. It's like, if if the web map, if if the web map isn't performant in the map viewer, I can't really do much more magic to make it performant in your own app at that point, right? Yeah, it's not gonna get better, is it? Exactly. Yeah, and the thing I like about the web map is it's a uh, the 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 object. A web map is it's something I do this all the time with devs, uh, where I'll create a web map, and uh, it's under my account. And I'll hand it to you, Renee. Hey, Renee, we want to do that project there. Here's my web map that I think has everything you need, but if it doesn't, let me know. And then I, but I hang on to that thing because I want the responsibility to essentially, to use your language, refactor that web map as needed, right? You refactor code. Why don't we refactor maps? Why don't we feel comfortable asking a GIS person? You know, this thing's kind of painful. Um, let me describe where the pain is, and maybe you have some ideas on how you could refactor your web map or its contents or its layers or its approach to address these things I'm seeing in the in the app. And as soon as I learn where your pain is, now I'm motivated. Because if I'm not motivated, I'm probably just gonna take the easy route. Here's all my layers, see ya. Yeah, that's awesome, that's right. I never really thought about the idea of refactoring a web map like that. That's actually a really great idea, I love that. I should build an app to let people do that, like comment on web maps and things they want out of it. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I wouldn't know what I'm talking about if I hadn't built enough bad ones that uh, they weren't bad. They aren't malintentioned. It's just, uh, you know, we all live in different, uh, I don't want to say silos. But I love learning from other people. And when I see what devs can do with a layer, it kind of frees your mind, right? Because I'm, yeah. I'm used to working within the Arctic line web map, you know, authoring structure. So I, I stay in my lane, I do what I can, but every once in a while I'm let loose with the dev and I'm like, hey, 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 uh, here's a here's a thought, you know, and we get on the one way for that's That's the best. So you've been doing this a while, Jim. No, we won't go into how long exactly you've been doing this, but you were there for kind of some of the transition from going from, uh, Printed maps being the like focus, what people needed to produce to web maps and stuff like that. What if you're talking to someone that uh, coming from that old background or something? Uh, what were some of the things you've seen uh, or or tips maybe for people that are coming from that desktop and they mostly produce paper maps type background to web map stuff? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think uh, it the first and most important thing is to just recognize that it's a huge difference with print as soon as it, as soon as it goes to ink it's over right you're not going to modify that thing it's it's i don't care how many data updates are coming in uh when it goes to print that part's over and it's permanent and it's awesome i love printed maps but my attention has been drawn over to web maps because at first all of gis and all of cartography just kind of migrated print thinking into web, you know, web 1.0. We were just basically taking pictures of maps and serving them up as JPEGs, right? Yeah. And uh, once the data became live, once you really understand that that data is alive in a web map and in an app that a dev creates, well, now your world opens up. You have to, re you have to change your thinking completely. And I don't mean cartographically. I mean the fact that this data uh, is touchable, queryable, 
um, you know, you can visually express things using all the great cartography lessons that have been learned over the decades. And yet there are some new patterns emerging. So you can also dig into that if you're so inclined. Um, sometimes a map isn't the best thing. Sometimes you need to go get a dev to write the right query to sum up the right information the right way and just answer the question. We don't really care what the map says. We care that the map has a has a role in the calculation, um, but we really sometimes just want to get to the point of what should a map-driven app tell me that a printed map could never tell me, you know? And sometimes we use printed map as, as our inspiration, you know, Ezra used to give out, uh, I still do, they write the Esri maps That's right. book. Yeah, uh, the, map book the maps book books. user conference. So much inspiration from there, and it's yet unable to capture the excitement of an online app or a mobile app or, you know, an app on a, a tablet disconnected. You can't capture that, that excitement of, I'm out in the field doing it. Yeah, I thought it was kind of, I found an old cartography book I had from like when I first started school that had a pretty good portion of a chapter devoted to like, hatching like when to use hatching what types of hatching you use and then think about it okay. like i wouldn't really even the hatching wouldn't be the first thing i think of when i try to make a map today a web map particularly and i guess there are probably instances maybe for different for certain industries something like that but it's not something i would do i wouldn't uh hatching is that first thing i go for but in a printed map i still think yeah i probably would use that in a printed map to kind of distinguish areas and stuff that's and yeah you can say it's just a different medium and a different way of trying to approach building that data, tell my story, right? <laughs> exactly. Hatch is a great example. Why does it even exist? Well, to give people a visual comfort level about the topography they're looking at. It, it doesn't exist except for we want the reader to have a sense of familiarity or to educate them. And I think it's the same way with live maps and live apps that use them. Your job is to make that user comfortable with the information in front of them. If a map helps, that's great. I'm all for it. You know, I got a mortgage to pay. But uh, if the map is a distraction, I've been on projects where we've been asked, can you take the map out? Because our, <laughs> our call center operators, they're just playing with the map all day long. <laughs> and we don't want them doing that. It's, yeah. it's too interesting. That, that strangest call I ever took, but it was a real one where they, what they really wanted to was get back to business, right? And as enthusiastic as they get about maps and what they can, can express, um, really, they're just a part of the total picture. And devs are the people who, who bring that total picture together. That's why for my world, to get back to your, one of your questions you asked earlier, you know, what's the difference between print and live? I mean, as soon as I get my hands on the data, I feel like it's Christmas morning. You know, look at this gift I've been given. Now, how can I add value to it? Maybe add some fields or add some metadata. How can I create some example expressions of it, either in a map form or a pop-up? And then how do I hit save? And then I go get it to somebody who is a dev who can now start to look at it and say, you know, we could add this functionality, like the map is all about the visual expression of certain things, but there's a point at which additional functionality is probably needed. And that's that's where the app just takes off in a dashboard direction or in a 
um, fill out this form direction or whatever. That's a good point. And I, th and I think that's why we have like, like Esri has these different mapping products like dashboard and story maps. I mean, they serve very specific purposes, right? Like I've seen dashboards that, like you said, the map is not the main component. There are like other things in there that p indicators that people in those kind of uh, like service areas or uh, call centers, something they're interested in seeing. And maybe the point on the map will pop up every now and then. They go, oh, okay, that's important, but it's not really the critical part what they need. But then you look at story maps and like, I mean, they, it integrates maps directly into a story, the way it's, you know, it's in the name there. It's like a, like a written word story and there might be video and stuff like that, that transitions to a map. And it's just how you're going to use these different maps to tell what it is you want to tell, how you're going to guide the user, you know, across this data that you're trying to share with them in some way, which I think is really great. I, I think that's really powerful stuff that we do with maps and stuff every day. Yeah, that's what's so powerful about it is you, you make the map that someone can identify, hopefully they can identify with it in some way, whether it's a map of sales, you know, by store, or it's a map of uh, directions to your kid's soccer game. You know, you're looking for some way to help somebody relate to it, because if they trust it in an area they know, now they have a basis perhaps to trust it in unfamiliar territory. And those are the two scenarios I'm always thinking about is how do we help someone validate this new map or app we've created? How do the first thing they're going to do is they're going to type in their home address and validate <laughs> it. Right? We all do that all the time. Yeah. And so if it rings true in an area someone's familiar with, that's great. But also important, equally important, more important, arguably is how does the map become trustworthy the app experience become trustworthy in situations or areas where you're less familiar but hopefully you've done enough with the effort that uh you've created trust and that I mean, why else does data exist except for us to analyze it think about it start to uh, create trust that we we know what we're talking about either describing what's going on or proscribing some possible courses of action awesome awesome jim Oh, sorry, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I do want to ask you before I let you go, what's one tip you would give to uh, either developers or cartographers out there? Let's go either way you want to go. What's something you want them to take away uh, from this? For developers, ask more of your map maker. They're dying for a challenge. They want to be challenged. They need those challenges to drive forward because a lot of folks have been brought up in a world of of kind of you know print cartography or gis data management and the expression of it they may not be super comfortable with so i, I bump into this all the time where I, I i sense in the room that no one is gonna you know put themselves at a huge risk necessarily and sometimes all it takes is an ask and the dev is the most powerful person in that room at key certain times not all the time uh but there are times where a word from you you know to say could you refactor this map a little bit or you know just getting that engagement started sometimes will lead in very very positive directions because uh like i said not it is the case you don't know what a dev needs or an app needs until it's revealed to you. You think you're doing a great job by serving it this way, that way, or the other. And what I love the most about online mapping is whatever we built 
it's good enough to start. You know, and that's why Living Atlas is fantastic. All these layers and maps, they're not just good enough, they're a fantastic place to start. And if they aren't quite right or you need something, just talk to us. We could start to uh, fiddle with it. The new tech is coming all the time. It's it's just a great time to work in online mapping. Amazing, Jim. Amazing. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate your time. You have yourself a great night. And I'll be hitting you up later on. Don't worry about it. Thanks, Renee. This is a pleasure. And uh, yeah, keep pushing us. Thank you for listening to The Bounty Box today. Please subscribe for more content.